Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and I've got Sam Balch back today. Hello! We promised in a last epi- the last episode we did together, where you just sort of ranted about uh, help children and their behavior and caregiver attitudes and that kind of thing, we promised to give uh, to do an episode that was more um, more sort of concrete about what kinds of things we can do in those situations. Um, so that's what we're here to do. Sam, what do you want to say? I'm super jazzed about it, and I think it's awesome, and I, like, I guess it's like a, I don't know, a warning? Um, You're going to find, as we talk about it, there's no one magic pill that will suddenly make them all start doing every single thing you want them to do. So if you're looking for, like, a magic phrase or one thing to do, you might not enjoy this podcast. Right, right. You will learn lots of things and have a great time listening. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I used to, whenever I did, like, trainings or anything about behavior, I would start by saying, um, you know, there's no magic solution to behavior problems. And if there was, someone would have discussed it and made millions off of it. But I don't say like, that sure. anymore because so many people are selling products and getting rich off of it. And, it, and still, that's the number one request of everybody I talk to is we need more help with behavior. So we've tried that avenue. We've, we've tried that idea that there's just an answer that we can buy from somebody. It's not working. So now let's give it. So now let's really, let's, so now Sam and I will solve the problem. Yeah, we're just going to solve it all. Okay, so the quote's a little longer than the ones that we usually have, but I'm going to, um, so I'm going to read it. This is Deb Curtis and Margie Carter. If you've listened before, you know that I'm in love with them. Sam seems to also think highly of them. I met them at a conference once. It was the best. Dear Lord. I've not been in the same room with them. I don't know that I could handle that. (laughs) It Uh, was hard. (laughs) It's just been too long, you know, admiring from a distance. But anyway, this is from their book, Art of Awareness, The Art of Awareness. And the quote goes like this. Sometimes things about children's behaviors feel like a disappointment rather than a gift. They can irritate rather than delight you. These are the moments to practice the art of reframing, to seek the child's point of view rather than yield to the temptation to label, if not punish, children. A more productive approach is to try to transform an irritation into something you are curious about, asking yourself questions like these. Why is this happening? What do I need to see that I don't yet understand? What is the underlying source and meaning of this behavior? What story might this child be trying to tell us? If you view irritating behaviors as unfolding stories you don't yet understand, your emotional reaction and the way you proceed with children will likely shift. They just have such a way with words. Right. They write is just so eloquent and beautiful, and it makes me sound like a third grader. (laughs) They're they're so word smart. So perfect. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, I was mentioning to Heather earlier um, for the listeners that it's that was this quote reminds 
of something that I say a lot to people I work with, which is it's always better to respond with curiosity rather than judgment. Mm -hmm. So when you're faced with a behavior that you don't like for whatever reason, instead of assuming something about it, like they are saying in the quote, ask questions about it. Sometimes I will even ask those questions out loud. Why are you on top of the table? <laughs> and go from there instead of like, and sometimes it comes out in that same tone of voice that I might a few years ago have sort of yelled like, ah, get off the table. Maybe why are you on the table? <laughs> that's, you know, something I still need to work on. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I have found that the questioning that I do in the moment when I might have previously been giving a command completely has changed the tone of the rest of the interaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think that we, I don't think that we spend enough time examining our immediate reaction. Like I think we can learn a lot if we just could honestly stop. And it's hard for all of us. This isn't any kind of judgment. This is just what I think is, is true about human, human beings who work with children. Um, we just, we just aren't skilled or there's not time or we're not comfortable enough to, to really stay in that moment. Okay. Why am I so bugged by this? Um, why, what, what do I want to do in this moment? Am I looking for justice and punishment and revenge or am I looking to be able to help the child and figure this out? For sure. Actually, I actually had an example of Today, there's a, a new teacher at our school. She works pretty closely with me. And there was a student, five years old, on the playground who went up to one of the volunteers who comes in our classroom. They had been playing a game for a while, but the volunteer had gone elsewhere. And the student ran up to him, slapped him on the back, mm -hmm. and then ran away, like laughing and giggling. Uh -huh. The student pretty well. Uh -huh. I know that this wanted to keep playing. The new teacher didn't know that. And... <laughs> Her first reaction was to run after the student, sit him down, and talk with him about how hitting hurts. And the whole time he's kind of squirming and trying to get away. And she came up to me afterwards and said, was that the right thing to do? <laughs> and the first thing that came to my mind was, holy cow, I am so happy you're embracing this vulnerability. Exactly. That's hard <laughs> to do. Hard. Yeah. It is so hard to do something with a child and then think... Oh, gee, I don't know if that was the right answer. And then to be able to say that to someone else, mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I did that right. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was good. Yeah. Like, you're in, what is that? That's disequilibrium now. You're in <laughs> disequilibrium that now you have to embrace. Right. And I told her, you know what? That's not how I would have responded, but I totally understand why you did. Uh -huh. So let me walk you through what I think was happening and what I would do in the future. And we had a great productive conversation. It was also super weird for me now being in a mentor role <laughs> and like trying to figure out how to phrase that. Yeah. And that was also something I told her. I was like, you know, I don't do a lot of this. So <laughs> I got I to gotta figure this out too. Let me know if it's not making sense. Mm -hmm. But what I would have done is not chase after him. I actually would have been working closer with him earlier to try and prevent that because I couldn't like I know him a little bit to be able to see when he's reaching that point that he really needs attention. And she's like, oh, yeah. that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I used to tell my teachers that, you know, I wasn't just going to stand back and pronounce their decisions, good or bad, if I could see that there was some thought and effort going into a response and not just a knee-jerk, you know, we always use timeout or we always do this. If I could see that they were trying to 
think through their response in any way, then that was a good starting point for me. Right. And that's that same curiosity rather than judgment. We don't yeah. just do it with children. We do it with our coworkers <laughs> and with ourselves. Right, right. Okay, so let's look at these. I've got a list of, so we're going to go at this from the, from the perspective, and this is where that reframing from the quote comes in, that um, uh, these, these behaviors that we're being challenged by um, are social and emotional development mistakes and um, in the same way that they make mistakes in their other areas of development. So we're actually going to imagine some other sorts of developmental, I'll use errors for lack of a better term, but, uh, and, and discuss how we might approach that and then make some connections to then to behavior management. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So the first one is um, a child puts a puzzle piece in the wrong place. What might our response as teachers be? I think a lot of times some things I've seen is a teacher will immediately say, oh, that's not right. That's not where that goes. Does it go there? <coughs> or, or the one the one that I hear a lot. I love I love this. Are you sure? <laughs> it, like the air of you should know you're yeah. not. You should know you're wrong. Yeah. You should so, totally know you're Right. And those are not helpful responses no, e- not either helpful. way. So so let's 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 shift it over then to what would we what would we need to do to help that child do it yeah. differently or is it important that they do it differently? Right. That's actually something I wanted to bring up because I know I have some students the um twenty seven months-ish, um, that like to look at puzzles mm-hmm. and like to be involved with puzzles, but have shown me that they're not 100% ready for some of the puzzles that people are doing. Uh-huh. That aren't necessarily like the wooden ones where you can pluck the parts out and they fit in, right. but um, some of the other older students, like the 36 months, the 42 months, they're doing um, more of like the papery puzzles that fit together, like uh-huh. traditional pieces. Right. Um, so the younger students want to be part of it. They don't exactly get it in that they do not fit the image together perfectly. Yeah. But I can see that the Sarah's goal, the younger child, is not to fit the picture together perfectly. She wants to have a social experience. She, just, <laughs> yeah. she wants to see what's going on. Yeah. So, I see that. A lot of times <laughs> the same way I talk to the older students when they're struggling with the puzzle. And the way I tend to do it is, what's happening right there? What do you notice? Mm-hmm. I ask them a lot of questions, mm-hmm. and a lot of times the older students tell me, it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. It does not work. <laughs> we get we get very angry over puzzles yeah. in the classroom. Yeah, They're I think that's very common. Um, and sometimes I ask, well, what do you mean it doesn't fit? How do you want it to fit? And they might point to the box and say, I want it to look like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. what do we need to do? And yeah. they might ask me to do it. They say, you do it. I'm like, well, like, I can help you. Maybe I'll turn the piece. I kind of narrate some, some thinking processes in my head. Well, I'm going to turn the piece. Oh, that one doesn't fit. That doesn't look the same as the box. And I want it to look like the box. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this one goes somewhere else. I'm going to try a different piece. Yeah. And oh, if I was, if someone it. was watching you go through that process with a child who was trying to fit a puzzle piece in, um, no one would think that you were being overly permissive or right. um, that, that that kid just gets to do whatever they want or, you know, that you're not helping them by... Yeah, you know, we wouldn't think to process it in that way with a puzzle, but that's that's so often what happens with behavior. And I we have this; it's like a, a disconnect um, yeah. about development. So, so what you're describing is first we think about the developmental of the ch- level of the child that we're looking at or watching or helping, and is the expectation appropriate? 
what is his goal. If his goal is to get the puzzle in the right place, then that's what we want to help him do. If the goal is just to be part of this social group that hangs around the puzzles, then we maybe don't need to worry about helping them get that piece in right. And that's so transferable to behavior. <laughs> Everything we do. <laughs> so, so a child's, you know, done something with their behavior that you don't like first is our expectation appropriate. Um, do they have the skills that they need to be able to do what I'm saying? Um, what was the goal for that behavior? So I think about, um, cause we've got a little boy right now who's, um, on, on, we've had some stressful days in the classroom lately. And when it's super stressful, um, this little boy will, sl- will hit like just kind of an open hand flail. <laughs> um, and it's causing great consternation and, and people are concerned about the morality. Um, when in actuality expecting, you know, 15, three, four and five year olds to spend three hours together in a room every morning and not have any hitting uh, would be an inappropriate expectation and setting myself up for failure. Sure. So I have to instead look at our expectations, look at um, what is his goal. His goal usually is um, to express frustration. So what can I do to teach him better ways yep. to and express something, that frustration? Something I always want to point out about being developmentally appropriate is that Developmentally appropriate absolutely generally follows, you know, an age. It'll follow months. Like you can expect 24 month old, 24 month olds to do X, Y, and Z, and 36 month olds, a different set of things. Developmentally appropriate also refers to your children in their context. That's right, and so, and individually what you know about the yes. children, regardless so, of their age. Yeah, for sure. So, for example, at my center where I work, I mentioned this when I was introduced on the last episode that I was on. Um, all of my students are experiencing homelessness or transition, uh-huh. which is sort of tricky to define. Some of them might be sleeping with a lot of other families in the shelter at night. Some of them might be in a transitional housing program or Section 8. It's all sort of up in the air. Mm-hmm. So the majority of my children have experienced pretty big traumas mm-hmm. in their very, very, very short lives. Mm-hmm. So for me to expect them to be able to do the same things at 36 months old that the students across the street at a private school are doing isn't fair. Mm-hmm. It's just not fair, mm-hmm. given what we know about trauma and child development and the brain. Right. I was going to say just child development, but then you add oh. in trauma and you add in what trauma does for brain development, then then you really do it's have a whole different podcast, man. And situation. it is yeah. really wild. Yeah. So everybody look at that. Um, so, and even if your child, your children do have somewhere to sleep at night, maybe there's a new baby, maybe grandma's sick, like mm-hmm. day-to-day things can also impact their development in a way that you might not expect. So when we think about behavior, you have to think about the whole child. Yeah. yeah. And there will be people who listen to what we just talked about and will say, but you have to have high expectations of children. And um, if you expect them to succeed, then they're more likely to succeed in all these euphemisms or all these uh, cliches that we've got going through us. Um, but so, so I just want to address that briefly and, and, and move along. We are yeah. not saying that the attitude should be, well, they're poor. What can you expect? For sure. We are saying what they need from us is understanding and guidance and teaching, not punishment yes. and disappointment and frustration. 
Because that never changes, no matter the socioeconomic status of your children. Right. That, that never changes. <laughs> right. Right. And if you, you know, need more information about how trauma can affect the brain, which affects behavior and development, drop I a note in the comments and we will get it to you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what about um, a child who's practicing writing their name and they make a letter backwards? Time out. Expulsion. I mean, a stern scolding. A stern scolding. Um, I used to teach elementary, so I've taught both Star first stickers. Grade. Sorry. <laughs> I've taught both first and second grade. Yeah. I had a lot of second graders who would make letters backwards. Yeah. Uh, yelling at the second graders does not make them make letters face the correct uh -huh. way. Yeah. Letter reversal is super common. Mm -hmm. It's even more common in early childhood when a lot of times children learn to write their names just by copying what they see. Uh -huh. They do not even really know that they're letters yet. Yeah. Like I have a 36, no, I'm sorry, he's now 42 months. Um, 42 months old who will trace his name. He has zero idea. Yeah. He's making, like he knows, he says it's letters in my name. He doesn't know what the letters are. He cannot identify any right. one of them. But he and knows so, what so when what, I write them. What does it take for a oh, child to successfully write their name without making letters backwards? I don't. <laughs> I'm not the authority on this. No, I'm just saying, if, if, you had, if you had a child doing this and you wanted to help them, what might you try? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't take. It doesn't take sitting them down and drilling them with it over <laughs> and over. It's the same thing that I would do. It's, it's the same thing that I would do with the puzzle. It's, oh, I noticed you wrote the R this way. Sometimes I write the R this way. Uh -huh. That's how I see it on the books, and that's how I see it right here. Yeah. I also, like, when I, when I write letters, I refer to their letters and my letters. Oh, my uh -huh. letters are, like, the standard English alphabet, uh -huh. and then their letters are whatever they write. <laughs> because, you know, all of the students in my room from 24 to 48 months enjoy writing things. Mm -hmm. They write all the time, and they will read it to me, and they'll say, oh, I'm talking to mommy, and I miss mommy. Mommy's at school, and I want mommy here right now. Mm -hmm. And it's just lines yeah. on a paper, like is what you would see, but that I ask them generally, oh, can I write my letters below your letters uh -huh. so I can remember what it says? Because you can read your letters, but I can't. Uh -huh. So I will sometimes say, oh, your R looks backwards from my R. Yeah. My R looks like that. Yeah. And that's so generally how I leave it sometimes they might ask to do it again yeah and if they do cool if I mean in the early years I wouldn't even this wouldn't be a huge red flag for me uh -huh. to like recommend to like OT or anything right I, I, no I I'm might not suggesting that it would I'm just coming up with common other mistakes but no, no, no. so so what I again what I hear is before we can respond to that we have to have an understanding of development to know about the expectation we've got uh, we have to have an understanding of sort of the time frame over which the time frame that might be typical between what we're seeing and what we ex right. you know what we want to see that could be two years if we're talking about first and second grade um and we're working with four four and five year olds now so so that's you know a span of four years over which they could change that practice and it would be okay and so if we if we put this back to then behavior um some of it takes a long time. Some of it takes a long time. And I think that's what I what I hear so often when I make suggestions. You know, someone will share with me a very specific um, behavior. And so first, let me say, you can never solve a problem like, well, he's just out of control. 
well, he's just violent. Well, she's just aggressive because that's, but if you break it down into little specific behaviors that you'd like to help them teach, help teach them about, then you can, then you can move forward. So, um, but, but a lot of times they'll, you know, they'll say, well, he, he bites and this is the specific situation he bites in. And this is what we've noticed when we observe and document. And I offer some suggestions. If it doesn't stop the biting immediately, they assume that means it's not working. And so I don't know what I'm talking about. And they're going to go on and ask somebody else and try and get a better answer. And, and what we need to remember is that we may never see, and this is so frustrating, we may never see the success of the social and emotional teaching that we're doing now in response oh. to those behaviors. Yeah. We may never see that. Hey, Jeff here in the Edit Bay. We have to break this episode into two sections, and it was hard finding the perfect place, so I'm cutting it here. You will pick up this conversation where we left off next week. Thanks for listening to the Early Childhood Nerd and all the other Upstairs Studio Explorations Early Learning podcasts. Back soon with another episode from Heather. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on.